Good morning, everybody. It's good to be here again. I love this series. It's just been such a great and refreshing reminder of God's plan for us, and so I'm looking forward to jumping into the next, the next section. Here's what we've, uh, if you've not been with us the last few weeks, here's where we've been very quickly. The book of Philippians is a, is a beautiful book. It's, it's quite unique in the, in the Bible in that it's not full of much instruction, it's an, it's an exhortation, it's an encouragement from Paul who is chained 24 hours a day to a Roman guard and he's in really a terrible situation and yet this book is filled with rejoicing, it's filled with joy, uh, joy or rejoicing or gladness is referred to 19 times in this small book. It's, it's just a, it's a beautiful encouragement for us as Christians and so we've worked through chapter one over the last uh, four weeks. And we've heard incredible statements like, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And, and it's just this beautiful uh, uh, journey of, of encouragement in the first chapter. And what we're going to look at now is that Paul now jumps into chapter 2 where he, this is the first bit of instruction. It's almost like he's saying in the light of all these things, if you want to live in this way, if you want to be filled with joy, if you want to have happiness, let's get into the practical. Let's get into the how is that actually going to happen on a day-to-day basis. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read the first uh, few verses, I'm sorry, the first 11 verses. We'll actually start at verse 3 in chapter 2. And then we're going to look at a couple of verses. So I just want you to listen. It's not going to appear on the screen. If you've got your Bibles, and I hope you have, you can follow along. Um, But chapter 2, starting at verse 3. This is Paul. He says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among you, uh, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now, just pause there for a second. That's a set of instructions. Have this mind in you. Be humble. Don't be conceited. And then Paul launches into this beautiful hymn. So he's going from instruction, and then his tone changes, and he just points us to Jesus Christ. Listen to this hymn. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, so that in, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. See, he's just bursting with how amazing Jesus is, and this, this, this hymn, uh, he, it may be that he was actually quoting an, an ancient hymn, where he's, it's split into three. He's saying Jesus gave up, he emptied himself, and he died on the cross, and then there's this resurrection. But the first part is very instructional. Conventional wisdom in our culture would say that if you want to be happy, if you want to be joy-filled, if you want to be fulfilled, 
If you want unity and compassion and love in your life to reign, if you want to fulfill the purpose on which you've been put on this earth, conventional, cultural uh, uh, wisdom would say you've got to look after yourself. You've got to look after number one. You've got to do what you think is right. You've got to do whatever it takes to succeed. You're strong. You're capable. You can do this. And we're pumped up. The self-esteem just increases. You can do this. Fulfill your own desires. Go for it. That's what the world would say you need to do in order to be happy and fulfilled and joy-filled. You have to be important. You have to be heard. You have to be noticed. You need power. You need uh, popularity. And you see, Paul goes at it in a very, very different way. In fact, he would, he would really, I'm really flying in the face of what cultural wisdom would say because I'm catching hold of the coattails of Paul here and I'm listening to what Paul says we need to do and I want to lean into that because I look at the world and I see that it's not actually working. It's like we're looking for the wrong thing in the wrong place. Uh, my, my wife took my car uh, to uh, the, the body shop. We had a bit of an accident a few weeks ago. And, uh, and so it's gone to a body shop that's just next to a car showroom in, in Kelowna. And, and, my, and my car, it's a kind of a black SUV and, and you know, nothing particularly special. And it's just like, but we need the work done. Uh, it was really, I'm so glad that I'm getting some of my money back from ICBC. I feel like I've invested in that that organization for so many years and this work is $9,000 and it was only two cracks in the, in the bumper. I'm like, okay, I'm thankful I've got insurance. So we take it to the body shop and my wife was the one that was dropping it off, Sarah, and we've been married a long time and, and I, I love my wife passionately. She's, she's amazing. She also makes me laugh a lot. And uh, she takes the car to the showroom and parks it outside of the body shop while she goes in to do all that needs to be done with the people on the front counter. And, and they said to her, have you emptied the car? Is it, you've got to make sure there's nothing in it because we're probably going to have it for a few weeks. So Sarah goes back out to the car, opens the car door, and she wants to check to see if there's anything in the back of the car. And so she's looking around and she finds this carrier bag And she looks inside the carrier bag, and it's filled with women's underwear. So she's looking at it going, okay, now thankfully, we've been married long enough where she didn't immediately get on the phone and start railing, why is there women's underwear in the back of your car? Her first thought actually was, I have two young adult uh, daughters, maybe they borrowed the car and that's their stuff. So she just kind of tucked the underwear under her arm and then thought, I better check the, the trunk, the boot. And so she starts trying to open the boot with a little fob and it's just not working. She keeps pressing and pressing and pressing, it's just not working. And then she looks at the car and thinks, this isn't Glenn's car. She throws the underwear back into the back of the car and turns around in panic and, look, and she says she's faced with the showroom where there's a man in the window of the showroom like this. <laughs> so she, she then sees my car a little bit further down and goes and gets the right stuff out of the right place and runs back into the body shop. I love my wife. She makes me laugh 
so hard. It's like my whole life is filled with sermon illustrations. It's wonderful. She has a lot on me, I assure you. She's looking in the wrong place and finds the wrong stuff, the really wrong stuff. And you see, that's what the world is like. It'll say, you need to look in this area. You need to look for these things. And this is how you're going to find it in this place. And it doesn't work. In fact, it results in chaos, just like Sarah experienced. In Philippians 2 and verse 3, Paul says, this is the instruction. This is the first set of real instruction in Philippians. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count yourselves more significant than yourselves. Sorry, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his or her own interests, but also to the interests of others. So Paul is saying, you want joy? You want fulfillment? You want to live life with freedom? You want to have a life where you know it's, you're so free, it doesn't matter what people do to you because you are secure in yourself. If you want that, then humility is the way to go. Humility is the key thing. There's a very interesting word here, which it says selfish ambition or conceit. Some versions, some of the older versions, the AV, King James Version, says vain glory. That's actually a very good translation. It's just taken out because it's not something we would use in everyday life. That word, vainglory, literally means, it's from the, the Greek, kenodoxia, and it means glory empty. That we're just, we're so desperate for glory, because we feel empty, that we look for glory. It literally means to be center. The word glory in, in the Bible is, is a, it's almost like a, a pictorial word. It's, a, it's like a mass, it's a weight. Imagine a big rock in a river with the water going around the rock, not through it, that rock would be, have glory. It would have weight. It would have presence. It would have importance. It would have a place. It would be noticed. And so what Paul is saying, you don't need to live your life in such a way where you have to be that rock, that you have to be noticed, that you have to be important, that you have to have attention. In fact, if you have that mindset, which is very similar to what the world says you will find joy in, it'll actually result in the opposite. So, so you don't need to be center. You don't need to be noticed. So you could read this verse in this way. Do nothing. This is, this is my paraphrase. I'm not adding or taking away from the Bible before you stand outside waiting to stone me. Uh, do nothing from selfish ambition or to be hungry for attention or importance. Is that not our culture? Look at me. Look at how important I am. I want to be important. Give me attention. I need to be noticed. Paul's saying do nothing from that. If you want joy, do nothing from that point of view. In fact, in verse 1 and 2 of Philippians 2, it says it will create strife and, 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 and disunity. So Paul then carries on. He says, have this mind in you. Whose mind? Jesus' mind. He said, if you want joy, you need to have the mind of Christ. You need to have your mind set on something that is opposite to the culture that works. That will actually result in the very thing that we're all striving for. And the mind of Christ, as he launches into this beautiful hymn, is all anchored on humility. Humility. So what is biblical humility? 
What is this word? What, what is this attitude that we need to have in order to be joy-filled? Well, it literally means, and this will come no surprise to you, it means to be deferential, to, to be gentle, to be modest, even meek. And Jesus, in the Beatitudes, said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the world. You see, if I say you need to be humble and have humility in our culture, that's not seen as a positive and powerful word. And yet, a, a quick uh, search through the Bible and look at the word humble or humility, you'll see this word is tied to some pretty powerful statements. Let me, let me show you uh, uh, one or two of them. But I, as you read these, I want you to remember this statement. Without humility, Christianity is impossible. Humility is the opposite of pride. The very first sin was Pride. Pride in its essence is look at me. I need to be important. I need to be noticed. I need attention. Everything needs to center around me. I need to be that rock where everything goes around me. But you see, without humility, Christianity is impossible. Look at some of these scriptures. Whoever humbles himself like this child, this is Jesus talking, is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You see, this is a powerful thing anchored on humility. That's not a weak word, it's a strong word. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. The reward for humility and the fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. That sounds good. And where is it found? The reward for making yourself the most important, being the center Having the most attention, being popular, making everything revolve around you and what you want, me, myself, and mine. No, it's humility. And then this next verse really should send some holy shivers down our spines. Where it says, God opposes the proud. You don't want God opposing you. You don't want God distancing himself from you because you are proud, because you need to be important, because you need to be considered. But he says, I will give you grace if you are humble in James chapter 4. How is it that God opposes the proud? Because if you come to God, this is where I said it's impossible to be a Christian without starting with humility. If you come to God and you're Your hope is based on, look at how great I am. Look at how good I am. Look at how important I am. Look at all the good things I've done in my life. Look at how much money I've given to charity. Look at how many people I've helped. And and please, compare me to this person because this person is awful. I'm better than this person. If we come to God with that attitude of pride, with that vain glory, then God will resist you. He says, you don't know who I am. If we come that way, you don't know who I am. And then he also says, you don't know who you are. Because if you truly understood who it was that we were dealing with, then we would come with a contrite and humble heart. He says, if you come humbly, recognizing that we can do nothing without him, then grace upon grace is yours. See, when we come to Jesus and we recognize that we have nothing to offer, 
that we're trying to fix ourselves, that we're trying to make ourselves better, and it's failing. When we come with that humility, where we've actually come to the end of ourselves, that's where Christianity begins. That's where recognition of the magnificence of the cross starts. Because when we stand in the shadow of the cross, there is nobody who can puff up their chest and go, look at how amazing I am. Because we're all reminded of who we really are. Because Jesus died the death that every one of us truly deserve. Because of the sins that we willingly commit from this point of trying to make ourselves center. So without humility, Christianity is impossible because God will resist. But it's a beautiful thing. Coming to the end of yourself. This is why Paul can exclaim this in Philippians because he's in a circumstance where really, humanly speaking, he's at the end of himself. He can't do anything about this. He's chained to a Roman guard. And many of us in the room can say, yeah, Glenn, when I go through challenges, it's humbling. I come in humility because I realize I have nothing to offer this situation to see it right. Only Jesus. Only God. We get a true picture of ourselves when we look at the cross. I love this quote from John Stott. Every time we look at the cross, Christ seems to say to us, I'm here because of you. It is your sin I am bearing, your curse I am suffering, your debt that I am paying, your death that I am dying. Nothing in history or in the universe cuts us down to size like the cross. All of us have an inflated view of ourselves. That's the pride That's the vain glory. That's the I'm the most important thing in this situation. Especially in self-righteousness. Until we have visited a place called Calvary, it is there at the foot of the cross that we shrink to our true size. See, God leans into the humble. And so many of us in this room have come to a place when we've come to the end of ourselves and humility has been uh, present in our lives and we turn to Jesus. We turn and put our gaze upon Jesus. And like Josh said in the middle of the worship time, when we look to him, we're basically saying, I can't do this. God loves that. Because we're not coming with, I have anything to offer. I have nothing to offer. And then not only is it important for when we first become a Christian, but humility draws us constantly closer to God. As a Christian, we should have this lifestyle of confession and repentance and forgiveness. That's why Encounter God is so important. Because Encounter God as a program enables us to come to the foot of the cross, recognizing some of the stuff, the baggage that we're carrying and the sins that we're struggling with. And our only hope is Jesus, the cross. And, you know, I've talked to people this week. Uh, three of the people are actually on the, on the video that you saw about Life Tracks. Two of them have, uh, three of them have done Encounter God. Two of them this week, this last time. They said it revolutionized their life. Why? Because you come humbly to the cross and you confess. And God leans into that. God changes lives. And so not only is it initial faith, but it's also ongoing, beautiful Christian life. And it changes you, humility. See, humble people display Jesus' character. They're slow to speak about other people's problems because they know they have problems of themselves and therefore they can't judge. When they do speak, they speak gently and lovingly and kindly. They don't gossip to get attention. 
Because that essentially is what gossip is. It's, let's, I, I, I want your attention just for a few minutes because I'm insecure and I need to be important. And my, important is going to, my importance is going to increase when I point out the other people's problems. It's extreme insecurity, gossip. The Bible refers to gossip as demonic because you're making yourself the rock, the center of attention. Humble people do not gossip. They don't give up on people. They're flexible and not dogmatic. They don't have to win every conversation. Not humble people, because they're secure. They don't need to win. Pride people, proud people need to be the center, need to be right, need to be important. Not the humble. So Paul says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. It's a really interesting statement what he's saying here. He's saying look to other people's interests, not just your own. Please listen to this. Humility is not thinking low of yourself. It's not putting yourself down. So let me speak to that for a second because people who are self-conscious or shy or insecure and don't want to step forward or don't want to be involved or won't volunteer because, oh no, I could never do that, that's actually still pride because you're putting yourself forward. And so humility is not putting yourself down, nor is humility putting yourself up. What humility actually is, is not thinking about yourself as much. Not lower, not higher, but not about yourself as much. You're not making yourself the center of every situation. So if somebody hurts you, or if somebody uh, does something against you, or something goes wrong at work, or something happens in the family, you're not making it all about how you feel, and what you think, and what your response is. You see, that's pride. That's not humility. You're thinking less about yourself, and thinking more of the others in the situation, and ultimately more about Jesus. It's very important because if you're putting yourself in the line of fire every time, you're going to get hurt. So let's say somebody has hurt you. When you think of that person, what's your first response? They have hurt me. They don't know what they've done to me. How could they ever do that to me after everything that I have done? Why would they do that? You see, what we're doing when we do this is it's vain glory. We're making ourselves the center again. Whereas if you have humility, what you do is you look at that situation through the lens of what Jesus would think. It's not about you anymore. So it's not putting yourself down. It's not lifting yourself up. It's just not thinking about yourself as much. Humility is about what you look at. If you're looking at yourself all the time, you're going to get hurt. Even simple everyday things. Somebody cuts into line. It's like, oh, that's pride. You're putting yourself center. So what is it you're looking at? Is everything about you? Do you recognize that perhaps the problem is us? (laughs) We're the problem. In the the first church that I I pastored, we had this uh, beautiful older lady called Joy, and she really was a joy. She was so much energy and fun and laughter. She loved Jesus. If you stood around long enough, whether you were a Christian or not, she was going to tell you the gospel. And she was going to pray for you. She, just had, she was wonderful. And, and Joy also, by her own admittance, was a, was a little bit unaware. 
things would happen around her, and, and she was just blissfully, wonderfully ignorant. And, and, so, and that was by her own admittance. And Joy tells the story one day where she went shopping, and, and she was waiting with her shopping cart at the checkout uh, to pay. And she glances over, and she sees a lady that she knows. And so she looks back, and she's like, I know that lady from somewhere. I don't know where. But I know that I know her. So, I, so she looked back, and then she saw the lady was looking back at her. So she knows, I think she knows me too. Where do I, is it from church? Is it from work? Is it just from, you know, of my interest? I, I come around, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look, and I'm going to give her a big smile and see if she smiles back. So she looks up, looks over at the lady, big smile. The lady is smiling back at her. I definitely know her. But where from? She says, right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a really good stare. Hopefully she's not looking. I'm just going to examine her. So she looks up and she looks over and she sees that the lady is looking right at her. She's like, how rude. She's looking right. She's trying to figure out where she knows me. Why is she staring at me? So I'm going to give her a scowl. So she looks at the lady and scowls at her and the lady is scowling back at her. She's mad now. So I'm going to give this lady a good talking to. So she pushes her shopping cart forward and she looks over and she realizes that she's been looking in a mirror the whole time. One of those pillars with a mirror on the side. Now I don't know about Joy's eyesight, but I wonder whether we're actually looking at a situation not realizing that the issue and the problem is our pride and our vain glory and that we're actually looking at the issue through the wrong lens that actually the issue is us. So we're just looking at ourselves. How much freer would life be if somebody was to hurt you and it'd be okay because you're not making you the center? How much freer would that be? That, you're, that maybe you're overlooked for a promotion at work. That's okay. Because you know what? It's not all about me. It's about Jesus. So how do we develop this pride? You can't. You can't develop humility. Sorry, how do you develop humility? You can't. <laughs> Thanks for the feedback there. If we, were in a Pente- if we were in a lively Pentecostal church, you would have gone, Aah. how do we develop humility? You can't. Now, Glenn, it, it said, we just read some of the scriptures, it said, humble yourself. You can't develop humility because the second you start working on humility, you're centering on yourselves, therefore negating what actually humility is. I've been so proud today. I was good up until that point. You can develop fake humility. Fake humility often looks like self-consciousness. No, I could never do that. No, that's pride. So how do you develop humility? If I all said to you, okay, everybody, here's the homework for this week. Go be humble. How do we do that? You know, I can say be joy, you know, be happy, have a good attitude, you do things you can actually do, but Paul says, how do we develop this humility? Well, he gives us a clue. You can't develop or work on humility. So what Paul says is that it emerges, humility grows, it emerges when we look at something else. When we take our eyes off ourselves and put it onto something else, which is why Paul launches into this beautiful hymn. 
He's saying, look, be humble. And here's how you're humble. Look at Jesus. Because as you look at him, and he was the humble one. He emptied himself. He made himself, some translations say, of no reputation. He didn't need to be important. He didn't need to be noticed. He didn't want the attention. The Bible actually says that Jesus wasn't much to look at. So those pictures that some of you have got on your walls of Jesus with blonde hair and blue eyes, with birds and children around him, get rid of them, they're wrong. He, was not, he didn't look like he was in a boy band, I promise you. And he certainly didn't look white with blonde hair and blue eyes because he was Jewish. He was nothing to look at, he didn't want the attention, he gave it all up. And Paul says, look at him and what he did for you, and as you look at him, your humility, your pride diminishes because we stand in the shadow of the cross, and humility will just emerge. It happens. He says, focus on someone else. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Pride diminishes when we are faced with the reality of what Jesus did for you and me on the cross. Humility is a byproduct of wanting Jesus more than anything else. Humility comes, joy comes, it emerges as we spend time gazing upon the beauty of what Jesus gave up and what he did on the cross and then his wonderful resurrection. It emerges as we meditate on it, as we sing about it, as we talk about it, as we come to encounter God and hearing God and life tracks. It emerges because you steadily change and you become more humble. It emerges. Paul points us to what Jesus did, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, Jesus showed incredible humility. And yet, was he not the most powerful, strong, fearless man that has ever walked this earth? He didn't need to be seen and popular and important in order for that to happen. Courage was there as a result of the humility of him emptying himself, the scripture says. There's a lot of debate about what that emptying means. It does not mean that he gave up his divinity. He was 100% man, 100% God, but he gave up that glory He didn't need to be the center of attention. In fact, he shied away from it. He would would literally remove himself when people wanted to make him king, and he would go hide. You see, in the AV, it says he made himself of no reputation in verse 7. If he gave up all that for me, can I not give him everything? If he made himself of no importance, if he didn't have to be the center of attention, can I not be the same way? Do I have to be the most important? That everything terminates on me. If Jesus is the most important thing in my life, then what do I care if somebody hurts me? Because it's all about him. Why do I care if I, my importance and my reputation and, and, and everything is diminished Because it's all about him. 
And as you gaze upon what Jesus did, and as you spend time soaking in it, what does that look like? In the morning, when you first get up, the first thing you should do is gaze upon the beauty of the cross. Fill your mind with the gospel. Fill your mind with the beauty of this hymn that Paul is. Like, if you camped out on this hymn, this, these few verses this week, it will, humility will emerge. The Holy Spirit will use it powerfully. In finishing, I want to show you this one verse. In 2 Chronicles 7 and verse 14. Very well-known verse. And I want you to show you how humbling yourself works. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves, how do we humble ourselves? By praying and what? Seeking my face. Humility comes when we look to God as our answer. And we turn from our wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I pray that we would be a people and a church that habitually gazes upon the beauty of the cross and the gospel. Jesus, we, as we look at what you did for us, you, you gave up, you made yourself of no importance. You went to the cross, that shame-filled cross. And you rose again in power and in glory. Lord, I pray that, that we would see ourselves in the light of that beautiful story. Father, I pray you would help us that we, would, that we would prioritize, Lord, the gazing upon you, the prayer to you. And Lord, I pray humility would emerge. That's your promise. And like Isaiah, we may say, oh, woe is me when we're faced with the glory of what you have done. And Lord, I pray for those in the room who don't know you, who are still trying to get that feeling of fulfillment and purpose and joy from a world that is empty, the wrong place, the wrong thing, struggling in their sin. God, even as we sing and as we pray, as Pastor Phil leads us, that, Father, you would do the work only you can do and convict and draw them to yourself. So, Lord, I pray as a church this week, that our attention would be firmly fixed upon you, Jesus, for you truly are worthy. Thank you, Lord.